Welcome to the last Drinking on the Last Frontier for 2023. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. As always, thanks to Recess Duty for playing us in with our theme song. Well, we've got a couple of good interviewees this month and some interesting segments. But as always, let's get started with Beer News. Susitna Brewing has signed on with distributors Specialty Imports. Specialty will be handling the sales, transportation, and logistics of distributing Susitna beer across Alaska. Cooper Landing Brewing announced on November 30th that it was closing for the remainder of 2023 to do maintenance and enjoy the holidays with family. Also on November 30th, at the European Beer Star Award Ceremony in Nuremberg, Germany, 49th State Brewing was honored with a bronze medal in its smoked beer category for its beer, Smoke. Smoke is spelled S-M-O-K with an umlaut over the O. Smoke is a smoked Marzen-style lager. Previously, Smoke won a World Beer Cup gold medal in 2018 and a bronze medal in 2022, a Great American Beer Festival gold medal in 2015, and an Australian International Beer Awards bronze medal in 2023, and many more. The prestigious Craft Beer and Brewing magazine reviewed Friends in Rural Places, a collaborative brew between Devil's Club Brewing in Juneau and Black Spruce Brewing in Fairbanks, giving it a score of 91 out of 100. We'll have an interview with Black Spruce Brewing later in today's show. The 2024 Alaska Craft Beer and Barley Wine Festival will be coming back to the Denina Center in Anchorage on the 2nd and 3rd of February. There will be three sessions from 6 to 10 p.m. on Friday and Saturday evenings and an afternoon session from noon to 4 p.m. on Saturday. Live music will be provided by The Slack on Friday, Nothing But Trouble on Saturday afternoon, and DJ Spencer Lee on Saturday evening. General admission tickets for any session are $75, which includes 15 sample tickets. There are also VIP tickets available for $125 each. VIP ticket holders receive premium access to the general session. A VIP ticket includes VIP entrance, no waiting in line, one swag bag, one growler, and one food voucher, and 15 sample tickets. Only 300 VIP tickets are available. Designated driver tickets are available for $10. Tickets are on sale now. 
Visit alaskacraftbrewingandbarleywine.com to purchase tickets and for more information. That's it for Beer News. Up next, we'll have an interview with Stephanie Haskins, the Executive Director of the Brewers Guild of Alaska. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Listeners, KDLL needs you for the Board of Directors. We have three seats up for election, and we're looking for engaged community members who want to help shape the future of KDLL. More information at kdll.org under the About tab. Email info at kdll.org or 907-513-1996. Applications due December 31st. We've got Stephanie Haskins, the Executive Director of the Brewers Guild of Alaska. Hello, Stephanie. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Bill? Doing well, doing well. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. So let's start with the Beer Festival, the Alaska Craft Brew and Barley Wine Festival that's going to be happening in just over a month on the 2nd and 3rd of February. So what can you tell us about it? We're really looking forward to the 2024 festival. So I'm sure a lot of your listeners are familiar with this festival. It's really been a legacy event in the Alaska craft beer scene, um, formerly known as the Great Alaska Beer and Barley Wine Festival. Um, The 2024 Alaska Craft Brew and Barley Wine Festival is going to be held in Anchorage at the Denina Convention Center on Friday, February 2nd and Saturday, February 3rd. Um, There will be a total of three sessions, one on Friday evening, one Saturday afternoon, one on Saturday evening. Um, I encourage everyone to come out and enjoy some incredible beers from across Alaska, but also from across the U.S. Um, We'll also have live music available um, at all of the sessions. Um, And of course, we'll have the competition aspect of the festival as well, in which we'll be awarding prizes in categories including barley wine and the winter warmer category, which can be stouts, it can be Belgian ales, it can be a variety of things, but we're really looking forward to the festival and the competition. Yes, it's a, I go every year. It's always a great time. Any new attendees this year? You know, not that I know of, but I know that folks that are fans of Alaska craft beer are going to be thrilled to see breweries from across the state be featured at this event. Um, we'll also likely have a lot of visiting breweries from um, elsewhere. I know in the past folks have been excited to see um, like Fremont Brewing from Seattle, of course, Sierra Nevada from California, um, some real staples in the national craft beer scene. And so um, I expect that we'll be able to enjoy their beers at next year's festival as well. Great. So let's shift gears now and talk about the Guild. I know this is probably a very exciting time because we are only a few days away for the long-awaited implementation of the new rules for alcohol sales and stuff in Alaska. So can you give folks a, a little overview about maybe what to expect and what some of the, some of the highlights are going to be? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I know a lot of folks probably heard about this in the news when this law um, was passed and signed, which was um, 
a good while ago, like a year, year and a half ago. And so it's just going to be coming into effect on January 1st, 2024. Um, a lot of entities, including the Brewers Guild of Alaska, were involved in getting this um, new law together and getting it across the finish line. The whole thing took about a decade or so to get together um, and was a complete rewrite of all of Alaska's liquor laws, and which was really badly needed. It had been decades since those had been um, dramatically updated. And so this is going to do a lot to regulate alcohol sales in Alaska as a whole. And there are going to be some very specific changes that will affect Alaska's craft breweries as well. Um, the ones that I know have gotten the most attention and a lot of folks are probably the most excited about are um, the changes that affect the time that tap rooms can be open. So right now, if you've gone to a tap room just about anywhere in Alaska and anyone who has a brewery manufacturing license, which is kind of your standard license that allows folks to brew beer as well as to sell it out of their own tap room, albeit sell it with some restrictions. So right now, if you go and um, visit one of our members tap rooms, then come eight o'clock service is done. You can't get another beer after that point and they're going to start closing up shops for the day. So come January 1st, then should anyone want to, then they can stay open until nine o'clock. So not a dramatic difference, but still an improvement over eight o'clock, certainly. And especially being here in Alaska, the land of the midnight sun, when we've got folks visiting in the summertime, you know, it's light outside. It's beautiful. People want to hang out on the patio and enjoy a beer for a little while longer. So being able to stay open until nine o'clock is going to be um, really helpful to a lot of the breweries around the state, as well as wineries and distilleries. There is a little bit of a catch with that in that folks do need to be off the premise by 930. So um, you will be able to stay and order a beer until nine o'clock. However, come 930, you don't have to go, but you can't stay here. So that's kind of the big change that's getting the most attention. Um, there are going to be some other changes as well as far as how licenses move around and can be um, purchased by different individuals and entities and trade practice regulations as well for our tap rooms, which is going to be, you know, our most of our small breweries across the state, that being able to stay open until 9 p.m. is the big change that most people are excited about. Well, I'm personally very excited about the ability for now for tap rooms that serve food to get a restaurant eating place license. So, be huge, because I know for a lot of folks, then um, like being able to come get a beer is terrific, but it'd be even nicer if you could get a bite to eat as well. Right. And my understanding is it's going to expand their options of what they can serve, you know, because with a restaurant eating place license, they could serve other people's beers or they could serve wine, just like a regular restaurant could. So I'm kind of excited to see that change get implemented. We're also really looking forward to being able to host some live events as well. We'll be able to have up to four live events per license per year. And again, that's pretty specific to folks that are doing manufacturing, but I'm sure you a lot of folks have noticed that if you go to a tap room anywhere in the state, like it might be nice to do a little open mic night or to have, you know, just someone doing some guitar on the weekends or something like that. So that has previously been something that has not been allowed under Alaska's liquor laws, but that will be a change that's coming as well. So four isn't a tremendous number. It's certainly better than zero and a great place to start. So we hope to see some additional changes in the future, um, but one step at a time. So yeah. we're looking forward to some live music amongst other things in the new year. Well, we're, while we're on the subject of entertainment, are the rules still as draconian as they were with regards to that in the sense that People can't sit in the tap room and play solitaire or, or darts or any of those sorts of things because that's 
entertainment and that belongs strictly to the bar owners? Is that still the case? Yeah, so those ones are getting loosened up a little bit as well. So still not going to be able to like host pool or um, dart tournaments or anything like that. But if folks want to come into the tap room and play chess, we don't need to tell them no. Okay. Well, that's good to hear. And you also yeah. mentioned that we're finally going to have some trade practices rules in Alaska that we've never had. And so nothing's ever been enforced, even the federal ones, because we don't have state ones. We're going to get those finally, right? Yeah, that's going to be a pretty dramatic change. It's one that a lot of folks on who are customers won't maybe notice quite as much. But for folks that are selling their beer wholesale, then that's going to be a pretty big change. Um, one that is just going to, if nothing else, bring Alaska onto the same playing field as the rest of the nation. Because as you mentioned, that's not something that had been enforced before. But it is going to be a pretty dramatic change as far as the way that business is done or can be done. Um, it's going to really have a strong effect, I think, on smaller manufacturers as well, because if you don't have a huge marketing budget, then you're probably not going to be able to compete with larger entities and the money that they're going to be able to spend to incentivize salespeople or get different displays out on the floor. So it is going to go a long ways towards making it, like I said, a more even playing field for more folks, especially smaller manufacturers. Yes, I'm looking forward to that as somebody who really likes to patronize the smaller manufacturers. So what else? Anything else going on with the Guild? Yeah, we've got some exciting programs coming up in 2024, some smaller, some bigger. So if you come and visit our booth at the Alaska Craft Beer and Barley Wine Festival and swing by, we're going to have some fun games going during the festival. We've got a great scavenger hunt. So not that anyone really needs an incentive to go out and find some more fun beers while they're at the festival. But uh, we'll have our scavenger hunt going. You can win some fun Brewers Guild of Alaska prizes. And um, we'll also have our annual raffle going. The top prize for that is a couple of round trip tickets courtesy of Alaska Airlines. So thank you to them for donating that prize for us. We do a lot to provide educational resources to our members as well. So for the breweries, wineries, and cideries that are members of the Brewers Guild, every winter we host a virtual seminar series um, and we featured a lot of terrific speakers from across the craft brewing industry on a variety of subjects. We've done barrel-aged beers and we had a great panel a couple years ago with Fort George Brewing Company, 49th State, and um, Holy Mountain Brewing from down in Seattle. That was a great talk. We also had a talk with Omega Yeast about their different yeast strains and what you can do to um, really boost up vials in your beers, both using their products and using other ingredients during the brewing process. And our next one that we have coming up, I'm sure a lot of beer geeks are going to be excited to hear. We'll be having a talk with Kyle Harrop from Horace Agedales from down in Southern California. He's going to be giving a talk to our membership in mid-January. So we're really looking forward to that. I'm really of the opinion that knowledge is power and you don't know what you don't know. So having these terrific talks and having them be accessible to our members across the state, I think goes a long way just towards making sure that you're getting all the information that you can to continue brewing incredible beer. Since we're very lucky here in the state of Alaska to have some terrifically talented brewers making beer in sometimes most unexpected locations. So that's a couple of the things that we have coming up. We are also going to be releasing our beer trail app this spring so keep your eye out for that if you don't yet follow the brewers guild of alaska on instagram or facebook i encourage folks to do so or to visit brewers guild of alaska 
org to get more information on that as we get a little bit closer to the spring. But that'll be a terrific resource for folks that enjoy traveling across the state of Alaska and enjoying the incredible beer that we have brewed here. So that'll have information about breweries throughout the state, different trails that you can finish. You know, if you're in South Central and you want to do one for just the Anchorage area, same thing with Interior and Southeast. We'll have some fun programs available through that. So keep your eye out for our new beer trail app. I look forward to seeing it. Stephanie, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today. Really appreciate it. Look forward to seeing you at the uh, Beer Festival in February. Yeah, thanks so much, Bill. Thank you for having me. This is KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We'll be right back with our next segment. Hey, hey there, pickle people. This is Murphy with the Veritas Variety Review. Check out Veritas every Saturday from 7 to 9 p.m. we got a rotating cast of players to mix it up for you. Find it here on the only listener-supported public radio station for the central Kenai Peninsula. KDLL 91.9 FM. Given that the beer festival season is upon us, I thought it might be a good time to revisit the question of what makes the perfect beer festival. On February 9, 1946, an essay by the great George Orwell entitled The Moon Underwater was published in the Evening Standard of London. Orwell is better known today for his classic dystopian novel 1984 and his satire Animal Farm, but he was also an accomplished essayist, and this particular essay provided a detailed description of his favorite London pub named The Moon Underwater. He proceeds to list the attributes which make it the perfect pub. Here's a short excerpt. In the moon underwater, it's always quiet enough to talk. The house possesses neither a radio nor a piano, and even on Christmas Eve and such occasions, the singing that happens is of a decorous kind. The barmaids know most of their customers by name and take a personal interest in everyone. They are all middle-aged women. Two of them have their hair dyed in quite surprising shades, and they call everyone dear, irrespective of age or sex. It's a short essay and well worth looking up online if you've never read it. And if you haven't read it, I'm about to spoil the twist at the essay's end. This is Orwell's admission that the moon underwater doesn't actually exist. It represents his idealized version of the public house, combining the best aspects of several different London pubs. So in the spirit of Orwell's essay, let's consider the following thought experiment. If the moon underwater ever held a beer festival, what would it be like? In other words, what would the perfect beer festival have to offer? First and foremost, there would have to be great beers on offer. It's a beer festival after all. This ideal festival would offer beers not readily available, either because they come from breweries whose beers aren't normally distributed in the area where the festival is located, or because the beers are limited releases that are typically only available at the brewery itself, or, best of all, beers that were brewed especially for this particular festival. Given the size of Alaska and the remoteness of some of our breweries, being able to sample the beers from multiple breweries in a single location can be a powerful attraction, especially if the beer lists include offerings from towns like Kodiak Island, Homer, Kokona, or Haines, breweries whose beers seldom travel beyond their local markets. Second, the festival goers would have to be there for the right reasons. 
By that, I mean to enjoy and experience the beer, not just to get drunk. This can be a problem with some of the bigger festivals out there. Festivals should be cheerful and pleasant events without a lot of heavily intoxicated individuals wandering around and causing disruptions. One way to address this is through the pricing structure. Charging a modest admission fee followed by a requirement to pay for your drinks as you go by purchasing tokens seems to encourage a much more thoughtful attitude towards consumption. This festival model is popular in Europe and has been adopted by the Frozen River Fest in Soldatna. It seems that having to pay for each individual beer, as opposed to being handed a fistful of sample tickets or tokens upon entry, encourages people to slow down and enjoy what they are drinking instead of trying to drink their money's worth. Also, it's critical that the festival do everything it can to ensure attendees can get home safely. Partnerships with local cab companies and good relations with local police are a big plus. Third, there should be good food available. Good beer is enhanced by good food and vice versa. A festival with vendors offering a variety of hearty, wholesome foods to accompany its beers will always be much more pleasant than one offering either no food or overpriced, tasteless fare. Plus, the consumption of food helps to prevent the overconsumption of alcohol. Fourth, the best festivals have something to offer non-drinkers as well. Whether it's good live entertainment or games for the kids, the best festivals recognize that not everyone can or wants to consume alcohol. Designated driver tickets are an excellent idea. Allowing non-drinkers to attend for free or at greatly reduced prices makes it much easier for drinkers to get home safely. And if the festival is doing a good job with priority number two, there should be no problem with having children in attendance, which also enhances the social aspect of the event. The consumption of alcohol in moderation is neither corrupting nor shameful. There's no reason to hide it from the eyes of children. Fifth, the festival should have a great location, ideally outdoors in good weather. While this isn't always possible, especially here in Alaska, it's still something worth striving for. The reason that a place for consuming beer is called a beer garden. Beer just naturally goes down well in a pleasant outdoor setting. It's a bonus if there are other breweries, beer attractions nearby. After all, some attendees may be coming from quite some distance, so the more beer activities they can partake in, the better. Sixth and last, it's always a plus if the goal of the festival is to support some worthy local charity rather than just to enrich some event production company. Some festivals are held simply for their own sake and are priced with an eye towards breaking even, but many others seek to show some sort of profit which can then be donated. Doing good for the community while enjoying yourself is always desirable. When you examine the range of beer festivals held across Alaska, you can see that, just like the pubs in Orwell's London, none of them check every box, though some check more than most. Our local festivals here on Kenai come pretty close, but even they miss a couple. The Kenai Peninsula Beer Festival doesn't allow children, and while Soldotna Creek Park in February has its charms, I'm not sure the Frozen River Fest location could properly be called a garden. Still, even if nothing in this world is perfect, we should still enjoy what we can, even as we strive for improvement. 
The number of beer festivals around Alaska continues to grow, increasing the opportunities for beer lovers to enjoy and experience even more craft beers. So get out there and attend them, even as we all keep searching for that ever-so-elusive, perfect festival. After all, George Orwell didn't stop going to pubs just because the moon underwater wasn't real. Don't forget to tune in on Sunday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. right here on KDLL 91.9 FM to catch the show Pickled Beats, where I, your host, Josie Oliva, will be playing you a curated set of music inspired by an obscure subgenre or an oddly specific theme. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldana. Today we've got an interview with Carrie Fristo, the head brewer of Black Spruce Brewing Company. So first thing, congratulations on your review in Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine of your Friends in Rural Places, the collaboration brew you did with Devil's Club. Score of 91, that's pretty good. Yeah, thanks so much, Ed. Uh, that was a super fun one, and I think the first one we did with Devil's Club, so it was cool that after all these years of, of friendship, it, it got a little recognition there. It was super cool. Yeah. So uh, speaking of winning awards, let's talk about the upcoming Craft Brew and Barley Wine Festival. I assume you guys are going to be throwing your hat in the ring again for barley wine and winter seasonal? Yeah, we definitely will. We actually just released our two barley wines at the tap room for our fifth anniversary celebration last week and i'm really excited about them so what are they what's a uh, i'm looking forward to tasting them in january or february at the festival but uh why don't you give us a little thumbnail sketch of each of them yeah so we do uh two different variants every year and this year was the first time we actually did a blend of two different batches. And the main component, about two-thirds of, of each of them, is a 12-month-old batch. One of those we aged in Heaven Hill rye whiskey barrels. And then the other one is in Willet bourbon barrels. And we blended in a, a small portion, about a third of a seven-month-old Knob Creek bourbon batch that we had, that we had aged. Okay. And uh, they're both super tasty, kind of a nice full body. They both have some really good dried fruit notes from the, the base malt in it, some caramel, some brown sugar, and then kind of where they start to differentiate is that rye, which I'm always a sucker for a good rye whiskey barrel aged beer whether it's a stout or a barley wine um, you get those really nice kind of spicy notes uh, kind of tempers the sweetness a little bit and then with the willet bourbon you get kind of more of those classic like vanilla caramel oaky flavors to it you put anything into the winter seasonal category we're gonna enter one of the two variants of our long nights uh, imperial stout both of those barrel aged um, one has some Ecuadorian vanilla in it, um, which is a really nice touch to it. I thought kind of some of that classic, like Madagascar kind of 
quintessential vanilla character, but then added a really nice little hint of fruity apricotty stone fruit, which I think plays really well with the the Breckenridge bourbon that that those were aged in. And we're not exactly sure which one we're going to enter for either category yet. So we're still kind of internally tasting them and and seeing which ones we think are the, the best of show that we can offer. Cool. I look forward to trying them in, uh, at the festival. So uh, looking back at the year, how was your 2023? It was great. It was uh, really busy for the brewery, you know, still growing little by little, which is awesome. And then my wife and I, Steph, one of the co-owners here, we actually had a baby last winter. Oh. Um, so he just turned a year. Well, congratulations. Thanks so much. Yeah, it's, it's been really awesome, super rewarding, and he's a he's a great little guy. So, you know, figuring out how to balance that and, you know, raising him, working the brewery, keeping everything moving in the direction it should. And so we, you know, were able to take a little time off when he was first born and then kind of came back part-time. And then this fall, we both came back full-time. So it's definitely been a, a pretty big transition for us back into being here full time. But it's great, really good to be back in the mix and in production and getting my hands back on everything and starting to work on little projects that I didn't really have time when I was only able to come in, mm-hmm. you know, a handful of times a week. It's, it was really business time at that point. But now I have a little little bit more free time to experiment and, and get things fine tuned again. Oh, good, good. How's your sales? Um, they're doing better. And, you know, we always have to give shout out to all of our restaurant and bar partners that carry us in Fairbanks and Palmer, Wasilla and Anchorage area. And, you know, hopefully soon we'll get a little bit further expanded out down to kind of, you know, Kenai area and and all of our all of our patrons that come into the tap room and everyone that buys the beer out in the market. You know, huge shout out to, to all of you wouldn't be here without without all that support. So it's yeah, it's been really good to kind of get everything back up and running and some things have changed just like consumer habits to some degree but you know getting back to what that pre-pandemic kind of flow of beer was looking like so that's that's been really great this year so you guys looking at making any alterations or changes when the new regs go into effect here in uh, less than a week probably not right away just because winter time you know um but this spring as the sun returns we'll um expand at our hours some because we'll be able to uh, serve until nine and then have people in the brewery until nine thirty. so we'll definitely take advantage of that and then we're still deciding on what we want our events to be because we'll be able to have a handful of events at the brewery so trying to figure that out see what's going to work the best for that and then i think january 1st we're going to start taking orders for uh, direct-to-consumer shipping of beer and if all that goes well, I think we're going to try and get our first, assuming people order beer online, uh, we're going to try and get our first shipments out, I guess, second week of January. Cool. going to give us a week to get orders in and then get all uh, the packaging ready and packed up and shipped out. So that's going to be on your website is how people will be able to do that? Yeah, and we actually just redid our website. One of our good friends that we grew up with here, he designs websites, and and he did an awesome job. So if anyone checks it out and they're like, wow, this is amazing, which I hope everyone appreciates it. And if they want to reach out, I'm happy to share his information and did a really good job of putting a lot of opportunities on the website, which aren't there quite yet because we can't ship beer yet. But it's going to be super easy to go onto the website, check out the beers, and then 
click a button and it'll link you right to the online store straight to that beer and you'll you'll be able to really easily buy it well i'll definitely have to check that out speaking of events any chance we could lure you guys down for our frozen river festival in february i was pretty gutted we were just looking at the calendar and we're actually going to be out of town that weekend but it is it's going on the calendar for 2025 We really want to make it down, and I know I say that every time we talk, Bill. And <laughs> we keep bugging you till you show. So just give it, give it over, and and just show up. Yeah, we'll be down there. We will. <laughs> so what else have you guys got coming up in the next couple of months? You know, over the next couple months, we're doing, a, I guess, one of our kind of yearly releases. We do our solar recharger, which is a hazy double IPA that we always do. New Zealand's Matueka hops in it which which give really nice kind of lime zest character and then we do different hops in that kind of pair that with with something different every year so that'll be the vernal equinox will release that and then just a couple small kind of one-off releases that we've got in the next couple of months i've got a really nice amber lager that we're going to be packaging up next week so you'll be able to check that out on the online store come first of the year and i'm it's tasting really awesome i'm really excited about that and then otherwise, really kind of this period is a lot of planning for all of our summer releases, looking at like our annual Bun on the Run collaboration. We always do a Brewed with Pride beer with Larry Lowry from the Library Barn Bites up here. We've got our Sun Never Sets Rosé IPA that we always kind of tweak year to year. And so we need to figure out what we're tweaking this year for that and just kind of planning for the onslaught of summer beer sales. Now's the time for it. Better be ready because there no, won't be any time to think once the sun comes back. Well, hey, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us. I'm looking forward to talking to you and trying some of your brews at the festival in uh, the first weekend in February. Yeah, yeah, we will be down there. We'll have a couple new new beers available and then some of our mainstays and fan favorites for sure. All righty. Well, I'll see you then. And again, thanks for taking the time to talk to us and all of our listeners can check out your online beer sales. That's very exciting. Yeah. Yeah. Great to talk to you, Bill. Thanks a lot. Hey, this is Chef Steve from the Blues Cafe. Monday night, 7 to 9. And if you can't dial in to 91.9, yeah, we are mobile, baby. Stream us at kdll.org. Monday night, 7 to 9, mobile. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. As you'd expect from someone who does this radio show, I really like craft beer. However, what you may not realize is that I also really like good cheese. And I really, really like enjoying them both together. Traditionally... Most people think that wine makes the best pairing with cheese. However, there are good reasons that beer makes an even better pairing with cheese than wine. There are similarities in the way beer and cheese are made. They are basically three stages in both beer and cheese production. In brewing beer, there's mashing, boiling, and fermenting. In cheese making, the process involves production, reduction, and ripening. The higher a beer is in alcohol, the longer its finish will last. And similarly, the harder a cheese is, the longer it too will last. 
Unfortunately, the trend towards giant industrial multinational beer producers is mirrored in the world of cheese as well. Big beer and big cheese producers tend to pasteurize and homogenize their products. Pasteurization, the process of heating something up to a temperature at which no bacteria can survive, does extend the shelf life of a beer or a cheese. Unfortunately, it also neuters its flavor and complexity. Another advantage that beer has over wine when it comes to pairing with cheese is its carbonation. When tasting fatty, rich foods like cheese, the carbonation in beer helps cut through the heaviness of the food, helps to lift and cleanse your palate, making it ready to enjoy the next bite. Since most wines are not carbonated, this isn't something they can do when paired with cheese. A final advantage that beer has over wine is its enormous range of flavors. Let's face it, in the wine world, there are really only two choices, red or white. Yes, there are many subtle variations of these two categories with sweet and dry versions, but in the end, you're either drinking a white or a red. Beer has many, many more choices, with everything from sour lambiques to sweet stouts, fruity wheat beers to dry pilsners, or hoppy IPAs to dark lagers. With so many more flavors to choose from, is it any surprise that it's easier to find a beer that's the perfect match for any given cheese? So now that I've convinced you that beer makes the best pairing for cheese, you're probably wondering how to go about choosing an actual pairing. First off, you want to make sure you're buying quality artisanal cheese, preferably sliced fresh from the block or wheel right in front of you. Here on the peninsula, I'm only aware of one place to shop for really good cheese, Lucy's Market at the Y in Soldatna behind the Walgreens. If you're in Anchorage, I can recommend Formaggio's Artisan Cheese at 3555 Arctic Boulevard. At either, you'll find a nice selection of real artisanal cheese far superior to anything you'll find sealed in plastic at the supermarket. The second thing to consider is this. Are you starting with the cheese and looking for a beer, or are you starting with a beer and looking for a cheese to pair it with? Either approach is valid, but since this is a beer show, I'm going to assume you already have a beer or beers that you'd really like. Therefore, we'll start with a beer style and look for cheeses to match. Here are my recommendations of cheeses to pair with a few popular craft beer styles. As always, your mileage may vary, so feel free to experiment until you find something you like. First, let's talk porters and stouts. While stylistically very different from each other, both porters and stouts employ generous quantities of dark specialty malts and grains such as roasted barley, black malt, and chocolate and caramel malt to deliver roasted, toasted, and coffee chocolate notes and a dry finish. These beers are robust enough to stand up to complex, earthy flavors of aged, blue-vein, semi-soft cheeses. The smooth and dry mouthfeel plays wonderfully off the creamy textures of cheeses like Gorgonzola or Rochefort. Next, American Pale Ales and IPAs. These are hop-forward beers that can stand up to a variety of pungent, harder, and crumbly cheeses. Prominent floral, citrus, and pine nose and caramel, toffee, malty body and full, refreshing, bitter finish are common. The aromas will stand up and contrast with the pungency of a smoked Gouda, the bite of a jalapeno cheddar, 
or the deep earthiness of hardcore blues such as Spanish Cabrales, it's a goat milk blue, or the classic English Stilton, while bringing out the buttery and nutty character in these cheeses. How about the classic German beer styles of Bach, Doppelbach, Marsen, or Oktoberfest? The robust malty character and full nutty sweetness that characterize these beers and their mildly toasted flavors bring out nutty, earthy mushroom notes in aged Gouda or a toasted brioche character and balanced acidity in chunks of Parmigiano-Reggiano. Trappist or Abbey-style doubles demand either an aged Gouda or an aged cheddar for pairing. These are semi-soft to hard natural cheeses with varying acidity depending on age. They are pale yellow and slightly sweet and nutty with some buttery rich character. The sweet malty undertones and generous spicy character of the dark Belgian beer adds an extra layer of complexity to the match. Finally, Pilsner's, Saisons, and Belgian-style farmhouse ales pair extremely well with chevre or goat cheese. Classic Pilsner is dry, crisp, and hoppy with a clean bitterness. A cheese with bright acidity and fruity character such as a chevre is a perfect complement. Lighter-bodied but complex and spicy Belgian farmhouse or Saison-style ales with layers of citrus and clove add a unique dimension to soft goat cheese. Of course, I can hardly do justice to such a complex topic in a minutes-long radio segment. If you're interested in learning more about pairing craft beer with artisanal cheese, I'd strongly recommend that you pick up a copy of the book, which I consider to be the definitive work on the subject. That book is Cheese and Beer by Janet Fletcher, published in 2013. The author is a renowned journalist and cheese authority. This is the first and only book that I have come across which is solely dedicated to pairing cheese with beer. It's available in both hardback and paperback for about $13, and I think it's well worth that price to anyone interested in either beer or cheese. Another good book choice is Beer Pairing, The Essential Guide from the Pairing Pros by Julia Hertz and Gwen Conley. This book covers the broader subject of pairing beer with all sorts of food, but it does have several pages on pairing beer with cheese. However you choose to go about it, I hope you will experiment with pairing craft beer and artisanal cheese. They are truly a match made in heaven. It's pick-click give time for Alaskans. When you file for the Alaska Permanent Fund dividend, you can support your favorite nonprofit organizations. Do you value public radio? Donations help KDLL provide the news, features, and entertainment programming you trust from around the world and right here at home. Apply for your dividend at pfd.alaska.gov by March 31st. And pick, click, give to help your favorite organizations. Thanks. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. While Christmas Day may be in the rearview mirror, it's still the season for Christmas beers. Whatever reservations you might have regarding the current state of the Christmas holiday in America, too commercial, too secular, too religious, too you name it, there's one thing we should all be in agreement on. Christmas beers are wonderful. Wines can be expensive, acidic, high in alcohol, and overpowering to many winter seasonal dishes. 
Eggnog is filling and fatty, and cocktails and mixed drinks are often too intoxicating to enjoy throughout an extended evening of socializing and feasting. Seasonal winter beers make the perfect accompaniment for festive winter celebrations, and the craft beer craze has definitely spilled over to modern holiday tables. You might think that beer and Christmas don't really go together, but you would be very wrong. In fact, folks were brewing and drinking strong fermented drinks to celebrate the winter solstice long before there even was a Christmas. At Stonehenge and other sites, prehistoric peoples worshipped the sun and must have celebrated the solstice, likely with fermented grain. In Rome, at the time of the birth of Christ, the biggest festival of the year was the Saturnalia, held from 17 to 25 December, a time when masters and slaves exchanged roles, gifts were exchanged, and pretty much everyone got rip-roaring drunk. Sound familiar? The Vikings were no slouches either when it came to celebrating at this time of year. Imagine sitting in your dark and smoky Viking longhouse, wondering if this might be the year when spring wouldn't come, heralding Ragnarok and the end of all things. How happy would you be when the days finally stopped getting shorter and started getting longer again? Wouldn't you want to crack open a nice strong ale and celebrate? As Alaskans, we should sympathize. By 800 AD, Norwegian farmers were required by law to brew a strong Yule beer using a weight of grain equal to the weight of said farmer and his wife. Since this was before hops were used in brewing, these ales would have been flavored with berries, herbs, and spices. Of course, Christmas brews weren't always popular everywhere. A short, easily overlooked paragraph from an early law book of Massachusetts Bay Colony reads as follows, quote, For preventing disorders arising in several places within this jurisdiction, by reason of some still observing such festivals as were superstitiously kept in other countries to the great dishonor of God and the offense of others, it is therefore ordered by this court and the authority thereof that whosoever shall be found observing any such day as Christmas or the like, either by forbearing of labor, feasting, or any other way, shall such accounts as aforesaid, every person so offending, shall pay of every such offense five shillings as a fine to the county. Yes, you heard that right. In 1659, the Puritan government and the Massachusetts Bay Colony actually banned Christmas celebrations. Talk about a war on Christmas. So how did one of the largest Christian holidays come to be persecuted by ostensible Christians in the earliest days of New England? Christmas in the 17th century England wasn't so different from the holiday we celebrate today. It was one of the largest religious observances, full of traditions, feast days, revelry, and cultural significance. But the Puritans, who after all fled the persecution of the Anglican majority, felt that such celebrations were unnecessary and, more importantly, distracted from religious discipline. They also felt that due to the holiday's loose pagan origins, celebrating it would constitute idolatry. A common sentiment among the leaders of the time was that such feast days detracted from their core beliefs. They, for whom all days are holy, can have no holiday. So no Christmas beer in Boston circa 1659. Fortunately for us all, this way of thinking did not last, and over the following centuries, Christmas and brewing both changed, but the traditional brew of brewing special strong ales for the holiday continued, and still does in many small traditional breweries in Europe. 
In America, prohibition meant the end of Christmas beers, as it meant the end of so many other things. After repeal, some of the restored American breweries again released Christmas beers, but most of them were just their standard beer in a differently decorated bottle or can. Christmas beers seemed destined to be relegated to the history books, at least in America. But when all seemed lost, craft brewers stepped up to carry on this proud tradition. Back in 1975, Fritz Maytag, owner of Anchor Brewing in San Francisco and the man many folks consider the godfather of American craft brewing, decided to brew a Christmas ale. Fritz thought it was time to renew the ancient tradition of brewing something special for the holidays, and Anchor Brewing did so every Christmas until its untimely demise this year. The recipe used to brew the Christmas ale was different each year, though since 1987, the recipe has always included spices. Which spices? That's a secret that Anchor kept to itself, leaving us all to pick up a six-pack and guess. Anchor's Christmas ale is one holiday tradition I hope is restored if the brewery is ever reopened. Sierra Nevada Brewing Company, another pioneer of American craft brewing, began releasing a Christmas ale in the late 1980s. Their celebration ale is eagerly awaited each year by beer lovers around the world who love to debate the virtues of each year's vintage as compared to the last. Unlike Anchor's Christmas Ale, Celebration Ale is not spiced. Instead, it's an amped-up version of Sierra Nevada's Pale Ale, being stronger, darker, and more hoppy. Originally, it listed no style on the label, but these days it proudly proclaims itself a fresh hop IPA. It's a fantastic beer, perfect for those long, cold winter evenings by the fire, and very widely available. Although not typical in the United Kingdom or Germany, Belgian and American craft brewers enjoy concocting modern winter brews that showcase a variety of fruits, sugars, and spices that can suggest mulled wine or Christmas sweets. The Beer Judge Certification Program style guidelines describe winter seasonal beers as Stronger, darker, spiced beers that often have a rich body and warming finish suggesting a good accompaniment for the cold winter season. Christmas beer flavors and aromatics encompass an extensive range. Some may simply be darker, maltier, hoppier, or stronger versions of a classical style, while several other examples may include notes of Christmas cookies, ginger, desserts, chocolate, spruce, juniper berries, citrus, dried fruits, cinnamon, nutmeg, allspice, and spicy alcohol. A rich, multi-profile usually provides a balance for spices and holiday-inspired ingredients, and special additions of fermentable sugars could include molasses, maple syrup, brown sugar, honey, or candy sugar. Toffee, biscuity, toasty, nutty, or mild chocolate notes can provide a deep, malty, sweet character. Balance and approachability form key goals in the production of an outstanding winter seasonal beer. Malt notes, special ingredients, any spices, and underlying hops should work together in the creation of harmonious and appealing aroma and flavor profiles. Imagine a Christmas beer that's too syrupy and cloying or spiced ale with an overload of nutmeg or cinnamon. Too much of any one component can be overwhelming and detrimental to the beer's overall appeal. Winter ales should also deliver the aromas and flavors that are listed on the label. If the holiday beer claims to be based on a classic style, then the classic style should come through and not be smothered by special ingredients. 
If the beer is made with Belgian yeast, a pleasant fruity Belgian ester character should be present alongside any fruit or spices. If the ale contains juniper, one should definitely pick up a light balance of this character in the nose and on the tongue. Christmas beers made in the United Kingdom tend to leave out spices, but include higher levels of malt, body, and alcohol than standard sessionable pub ales. These stronger brews are usually bottled and consumed during social gatherings and celebrations during the cold winter months. Most pub regulars in the United Kingdom would balk at the idea of ordering an imperial pint of 7% alcohol by volume winter beer, but splitting a 16-ounce bottle between friends on a frigid evening makes perfect sense. If you're looking for imported Christmas beers, Country Liquors in Kenai has been selling Samuel Smith's Winter Welcome Ale. While technically more of a winter warmer than a Christmas ale, this beer hails from Yorkshire's historic Samuel Smith Old Brewery. Made in classic open fermentation vats that are lined with slate from a nearby quarry, this malty English ale arrives in festive vintage-dated bottles each winter and offers delightful notes of caramel, toffee, stone fruits, and hints of apple. There's no better holiday beer to accompany a plate of roast turkey, cranberry sauce, and sage dressing. As most brewers in Germany still abide by the Reinheitsgebot beer purity law of 1516 that recommends all German beers include only water, malt, hops, and yeast, most winter seasonal beers from that country are simply based on recipes with extra malt and alcohol. Brawny doppelbachs range from dark gold to deep brown in color and possess intense levels of toasty German malt complexity and alcohol warmth, highlighted by a clean lager fermentation. No beer pairs better with sausage and apple strudel in front of a fireplace on a winter evening. Check out examples such as Pauliner Salvatore or Ianger Celebrator, both available at Country Liquors. Belgians are mad about their Christmas beers. Since many core Belgian ales already possess an impressive alcohol content, most Belgian Christmas ales rank as extra powerful and somewhat reminiscent of cordials and liqueurs. There are complex, flavorful examples like the boozy, spicy Gouden Carolus Noel, the fruity, rich St. Bernardus Christmas, Castile Winter with its chocolatey, vanilla character, and the spicy St. Fuelan Cuvée de Novelle and Delirium Christmas. Turning to more local breweries, Alaskan Brewing in Juneau produces their very interesting winter ale this time of year. Perhaps it's also not strictly a Christmas ale, rather a winter seasonal. It's in the style of an English old ale, malty and strong, but enlivened by the addition of Sitka spruce tips. Using spruce tips in beer has a long history in Alaska and harkens back to those pagan Vikings brewing their Yule ales and flavoring them with what they had at hand. Midnight Sun Brewing's winter seasonal is its Ko-Ho-Ho Imperial IPA, a more intense version of its Sakai Red IPA, brewed with brown sugar, honey, and juniper berries to boost its complexity, alcohol by volume, and holiday spirit. Glacier Brewhouse in downtown Anchorage is famous for its 12 Days of Barley Wine event. Each December, Glacier offers four different barley wines or imperial stout each day for 12 days. This year's festival ran from December 11th through the 22nd. 
Other breweries around the state typically choose the holiday season to release their boldest and strongest beers, like barrel-aged stouts and barley wines. But whatever you choose to drink during the holiday, do it responsibly and enjoy the time with family and friends. Well, that's it for this month's Drinking on the Last Frontier. This month's closing quote is from the great Edgar Allan Poe, who wrote the following. Fill with mingled cream and amber, I will drain that glass again. Such hilarious visions clamber through the chamber of my brain. Quaintest thoughts, queerest fancies, come to life and fade away. What care I how time advances? I am drinking ale today. May each and every one of you have a happy and healthy 2024. Until next time and next year, cheers.